0: I uh, work as administrator for uh, my uh, spouse's um, performance uh, company, and so we've done a performance where the preparation for the performance was part of the performance. So there's uh, the backstage and the and the uh, spectacular, the spectacle. The spectacle. Um, there is no distinction between the two uh so uh, i'm i'm quite glad to uh, you may want to cut this out but um uh, i have no problem with uh, you starting recording
1: now Cool. well i have started recording and i think that's a pretty neat idea uh, that we i think we can certainly give a go um, okay so yeah i suppose a bit of context so we we've been in contact for for a few days now having a little back backs and forth um of course, yeah. We we read your paper, and I also tried to, uh, yeah, uh, read a little bit about the background also of, of the association and and um, all your kind of activities and and the scope of uh, Castoria. work uh work, and certainly, mm-hmm. yeah, for for someone who's you know getting acquainted with uh, these ideas and writings for the first time, uh, it's somewhat yeah. Uh, uh, well, daunting to think, you know, of, of uh, well, I suppose the aim is not for us to have an even level conversation, at least in terms of, uh, of, of the content of, of the whole of, of this Ovra. but, uh, well, yeah, I personally am just a, kind of a budding translator. I'm relatively young, you know, 29, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I have a little bit of a taste also in terms of, uh i get the sense that it's um uh, this work is very much connected to kind of uh, what you could call a personal project or or this reflexive process of of uh, finding both the concepts and, and the, the, the the praxis uh, uh, and, and how that evolves and your notion of agency involves uh, and also with relation to the work itself and um uh, how it is transformative and the process of, of creating and putting it out there in, in the public domain. Um,
0: mm-hmm. uh, um, if I can just um, reply in relation to that, I, I, I've always felt it's very important to make it clear. I don't talk about myself as an expert uh, about uh, this and uh, to the extent that we would get into questions of because it's in, in, it's it's a p- integral part of the paper of being a translator and what that means. You have as much uh, uh, you have an experience uh, too. So uh, actually, we're on an equal footing uh, as far as that is concerned. And uh, for me, uh, anyone who talks about uh, Castoriadion as a as a title or as a concept. Uh, I think misses the point of what Castoriadis is uh, talking about. And so uh, I'm I'm interested in having an exchange uh, where uh, to the extent that I've been able to communicate something, then you will be able to articulate it too. And it won't be something that is, uh, I've got all of this knowledge, and then other people are supposed to uh, just absorb that or or something along those lines.
1: We also, uh, yeah, I, at least I saw maybe an opportunity uh, for, for uh, our, our uh, specific talk to kind of uh, leverage both that, you know, uh, David, you're here and, and Michelle, uh, you also have, you know, uh, kind of are, are known for a kind of, you know, could call it a theory of social change um, and uh, kind of institutions and, and the principles behind them. Uh, and I think the, there could be a, an interesting back and forth, uh, not, you know, as, as a conduit of, of uh per se, but, but uh, in relation to his work and, uh, uh, well, your, your overview of, of you know, what, what's out there in terms of tools to, to tinker around uh, these ideas uh, or, or to understand them at different levels or, or, or understand to approach them at different levels.
0: Um, one thing I can say in relation to that uh, is that uh, I don't think that Castoriadis would think of them, would have thought of himself as a theorist of social change. He, uh, we're already getting into uh, some of the meat of uh, what this is about. Uh, he did not think uh, that uh, there was, uh, what he was interested in was elucidating people's own. Uh, capacities for change. And so when he's talking, he's not developing a theory that then is applied as something separate, but that there is ongoing creative activity in the world. Uh, And uh, we get into questions of autonomy and heteronomy and so on. But uh, he was trying to, be someone elucidating as opposed to, for example, a Leninist point of view, where there's a substitutionism, where you have a a cadre of people who have the view of the necessity of historical materialism or whatever, that would tell people how they either must act or should act based upon some reading that a, uh, a relatively small group of people would have his whole life was uh, responding and reacting to that sort of view of, uh, so I have a little trouble with the idea that we would be doing a typology of social change or, or something along those lines. Uh, he even had an article in the early 50s before he was known as, uh, uh, in relation to creativity and imagination, talking about uh, the proletariat as a, a, a cosmogonic force. So he was talking about uh, not having a theory that would control or would uh, uh, tell people what to do, but to help people in elucidating what they are actually going through.
1: Okay.
2: So I, I'm not assuming that you know all our readers and, and listeners will have like uh, an idea who Castoriadis is. So I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. going to give a small summary of what I think like the, the phrase yeah. in his life were, and then maybe you can react to that and, and give some more um, texture. Yeah. So the way I understand it, he was a revolutionary, you know, first engaged with uh, in supporting the Russian Revolution who then started having doubts and, and became more of a Trotskyist. Uh, so that might be then the second phase but then he moved to France and created the group called Socialisme and Barbarie where he really went into a very in-depth analysis of the, you know, the Soviet system and why why it went wrong, and um, and then subsequently, um, in that phase, I'm, you know, I only read one book, which is the imaginary institutional society, and uh, then he kind of engaged more with the capitalist system, as it was evolving uh, after the '60s and how. Uh, he created uh, a new type of human being that you know was consumerist and and so there was a loss of meaning and and uh, what was the word he used um insignificance in mm-hmm. right so can you tell a bit more about his evolution and then maybe how you got involved and engaged with with that body of work
0: mm-hmm. well he was uh a quite remarkable person that I had the opportunity to know the last 13 years of his life and to work with him. Uh, He was at the age of 12 or 13 already reading philosophy and very quickly came upon Marx. And also this was a time born in 1922. So this was in the thirties, which was a uh, very important time in, uh, in history with a lot going on. And so he, joined, I believe, around age 15, the Communist Party youth wing and discovered very quickly uh, the sort of chauvinist character uh, of what was uh, the Greek Communist Party at the time. So by uh, uh, soon uh, thereafter, he created already an opposition group within the Communist Party, and then from there joined the most left wing of the Trotskyist uh, groups which meant that he could have been killed by uh, either the Germans under the occupation or the, uh, uh, the, the uh, communists or uh, just right-wing forces within the country. Uh, yeah, he, he was really
2: then, in history, you know, he was engaged with, with the struggles of his time.
0: Yes. And uh, an important event was actually um, uh, when uh, the communists tried to take over in in 44. He already had an analysis that he had had been able to discover that the, uh, quote unquote, Soviet Union, he never used that term, he always uh, spoke of it as as Russia. Uh, He had discovered uh, what would be in store for Greece that was in store for the, uh, the rest of Eastern Europe. And so he, he was taking this position that uh, developed as uh, th- that this was a, a new class that had developed in uh, Russia. Uh, and that uh, he, he, while he toyed a little bit in France with the idea of a third solution, he came up with the concept of bureaucratic capitalism that would apply both to uh, uh, the Russian uh, totalitarian system and with in a more fragmented way, as he said later, with the West that uh, no longer was it possible for just some owners of, uh, of capital to run things. There was an entire bureaucratic system that had developed. And within that, uh, he showed that there was a, uh, a class distinction between directors uh, and executives, order givers and order takers, as the uh, right. London Solidarity uh, spoke about. So there's, so it's not just the possessing and the dispossessed uh, as the class division. There's uh, an entire new system that was being perfected in Russia, but also was developing in a more organic way so that there was a capitalism on both sides of what became the Iron Curtain. Greece ended up in right. the West, uh, but he saw what, uh, what was coming in Eastern Europe really before it uh, was actually realized in the early post-war period. Right. And Because the Trotskyists, when he got to France and, and joined uh, the Trotskyists uh, group there, uh, were uh, still under the uh, idea that there had to be an unconditional defense of the USSR. That's where the break was uh, with, uh, right. with uh, uh, the, the Trotskyists, and they formed their own group called so- 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 socialism yeah. or barbarism
2: which is a group that created an enormous number of uh, French intellectuals, isn't it? Like a lot of people who became famous uh, afterwards, actually came from that little, it must have been an enormously creative uh, group. Well,
0: um, this would get uh, uh, the uh, dander up, the anger of the people that were in the group. Uh, okay. And uh, this is something that, a point that has been made uh, it was a revolutionary group, uh, uh, and it brought together uh, a number of people, some of whom became famous later as intellectuals. Uh, uh, Claude LeFour, who was the co-founder of the group, uh, uh, Jean-François Lyotard, uh, I believe it was uh, uh, Laplanch, who is uh, a psychoanalyst, uh, who was there. Other people. So it has this posthumous aura as this group of intellectuals. Uh, but uh, what it was committed to was uh, at the time proletarian revolution, but in a completely new way of conceiving what that might be. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's one should be careful not to backdate it as a. Right, right. Yeah. So, how,
2: do, how did you get engaged, um, David? Okay. With Castriadi's, because it became like the guiding uh work in your in your life right translating one one million Uh, words uh which is uh, you translated one million words which sounds like in volume
0: yeah
2: also well uh,
0: somewhat with with the help of uh maurice sprinton which is the uh uh, pseudonym for uh, a pen name for uh, uh, Christopher palace uh, uh, so I did some editing as well as, uh, as as my own translating but yes about a, a million words uh, well um, my background is uh, 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 during the pandemic I'm here in Winchester Massachusetts which is a um, uh, somewhat wealthy suburb of uh, Boston. Uh, and uh, my interest was uh, first in philosophy, like Castoriadis, about the same age, and uh, became interested in political uh, activities a, a little bit later, uh, like him. Uh, I uh, uh, studied philosophy at Harvard. Uh, but I also took time off and was doing civil rights organizing down south when I was 19. And then after graduation uh, from the Harvard Philosophy Department, which was for me uh, uh, pure torture, uh, they were into analytical philosophy and uh, nothing else. I uh, was doing multiracial community organizing uh, with uh, Carolina Action, which uh, was uh, then uh, affiliated and merged with ACORN, Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now. Uh, and, uh, uh, I have always been someone, uh, believing in direct democracy and I found that, uh, there was a bureaucracy in these organizations. So, uh, at, uh, several points I organized, uh, staff rebellions against the hierarchy of these organizations, which as it turns out, usually control enough of the means of, uh, funding and so on that, uh, those, uh, rebellions are crush uh, so I uh, uh, went to um, uh, back to uh, uh, Yale where I had studied a, a little bit and got a job in the uh, uh, in the afro-american studies department uh, working with Henry Lewis Henry Louis Gates jr. who was sort of mr. black studies right. in the United States uh, we found uh, the uh, uh, rediscovered the first novel ever published by uh, African American uh, woman uh, 1859. And uh, uh, so I worked with him, but I had a desire to uh, uh, continue on both philosophy and politics while I was at Yale I was doing uh, feminist labor organizing uh, the issue of comparable work that women for the same sort of work were being paid much less the whole pink collar phenomenon secretary. So I was involved with a a very grassroots uh, movement at uh, Yale in in, uh, labor organizing. But I also was uh, uh, continuing to read philosophy and I had uh, received a book uh, on uh, the intellectual origins of uh, May 68, written by Arthur Hirsch. And he talked about, Sartre and subsidiarily uh, uh, Andre Gortz, and also Henri Lefebvre and the Situationists. Right. And then this bizarre man named Cornelius Pastoriatus, and this obscure uh, group called Socialisme Barbarie that I had never heard of. And I became very interested in this, that uh, all of my extremely frustrating philosophy uh, studies at Harvard had not given me access. To this, and even when I was reading Merleau-Ponty, I wasn't understanding that behind Merleau-Ponty there was his student Claude Lefort, who was actually uh, uh, one of the co-founders of the and Barbarie. So I actually uh, wrote to Castoriadis and told him that I was uh, uh, interested in translating his work, and that uh, with uh, my spouse, who uh, had done her um, uh studies in uh uh, as a high school student in france uh uh, we were coming to france and he was completely open uh to this Uh, i had to explain to him that because i was on strike at the time and this was back in 1984 uh you had the computer uh terminal uh and the keyboard in one place and you had to walk 10 minutes to another building for the printer uh very different (laughs) <laughs> than these days. And oh, yeah. because I was on strike and couldn't uh, cross the picket line, I explained to Castoriadis that I had translated him, but I didn't have any access to uh, to the translation. And he was very generous and open and invited us to come to visit him. And that's how I met him in early January of 1985. And uh, knowing absolutely nothing about the publishing world i wrote to 43 different publishers and one of them said yes (laughs) and that was the university of minnesota press that had published a small excerpt from the then unpublished uh uh, english language translation of uh, the imaginary institution of society and that's how i began working with him for the last 13 years of his life
2: okay so uh, um, maybe just to continue a bit the chronology. So, um, so in first his focus was on Russia and how that you know uh, went you know, evolved in a bad way, and then you know he started dealing with the specific issues of capitalism um, and you know this this idea of insignificance. Can you say a bit more about how? How he's sure. sort evolved, yeah, and maybe also because the notion of autonomy, I think, is interesting for people now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's a very strong theme today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of more horizontalist vision of the world, and mm-hmm. it's all about agency and you know non hierarchy. So I, I think his work might might get like a second life now because of you know, how people are evolving in that direction. Mm-hmm well
0: um one, one distinction to maybe not be made is between Russia on the one hand and capitalism on on the other that for Castoriadis, uh Russia was a bureaucratic capitalist country and the foremost of the bureaucratic capitalist countries and uh, at the when socialism barbarie was formed in 48 uh, well 46 as a uh, as a tendency within the Fourth International, the Trotskyists, and then 48-49 as a group that started to publish its own review. Uh, the idea was that there was a world system that was divided, uh, but was bureaucratic capitalists on both sides of uh, what became the iron. Right. So He was already an, uh, concerned and he was trying to figure out how to Uh, show how the Communist Party was in France and elsewhere in the West was keeping workers uh, from being able to develop uh, what for him him was his idea of socialism, which was autonomous worker self-management or uh, workers management. Uh, Self-management already existed at the time with Yugoslavia, which was this combination of, making res- workers responsible at a local level, at the same time having Tito's police state. So autogestion, self-management at the time was not really the term they used, uh, but they were trying to figure out what was a world system functioning and what was needed to, on the level of theory and critique, to uh, point to a different way for uh, workers to not create a system uh, like uh, Russia in the West and looking at ways in which people in the West and in the East were coming up against that bureaucracy and were by the very nature of uh, what they were experiencing, were developing the premises and the actions and the organizations that would be challenging uh, that worldwide system. And that came to a head in 1956 with uh, the Hungarian Revolution, where what Sousis Mubarbary had been predicting seven years earlier, that there would be a workers revolt against the bureaucracy actually took place in Hungary. Now, um, that was for Sousis a period that was Starting to get some interest from uh, the French uh, public because no one was talking about the group. It was very small. Uh, it was publishing its review, uh, but there was a uh, basically a conspiracy of silence. Sartre, even though uh, uh, Claude Bourdet was writing for Les Tons Moderne uh, and was there as the protege of Maurice Merleau-Ponty, who was the political editor of Les Tons Moderne, there was no talk really about after 56 Communist Party uh, uh, being basically torn asunder by uh, the Hungarian revolution. Uh, there was an interest and uh, there, so there was this period where as Castoriadis jokingly said, if everyone was who was with us, who said they were with us, we would have taken power somewhere around 1957. Uh, though, you know, uh, Retrospectively, people are thinking, "Oh, it's this group of intellectuals," and but they were uh, having this influence and so on. Uh, it was actually a very small group, but uh, with some very big ideas. Uh, and, and so there was this period where it looked like uh, there was a greater audience, but also very quickly, '58, there was the there uh, uh, was the Permanent coup d'état, as Francois Mitterrand said, of, of De Gaulle coming in, and it would mean actually uh, uh, the workers uh, having very large cuts in, in their income. And it was on backs of the workers that De Gaulle really came to power. Uh, but and there was not a reaction that one would have predicted uh, using the ideas of Sussese and Barbarie, or just in general, Sussese and Barbarie said this is not. Uh, return to fascism. De Gaulle is not the new Hitler or a strong man. This is the modernization of capitalism. And, uh, and uh, it was worn out uh, later on that, that that's exactly what was happening. But it raised some really big questions about privatization in uh, society, which gets to this second part with the rising tide of insignificancy. And, uh, but already in 59, Uh, Castoriadis was talking about in Modern Capitalism and Revolution, his big text uh, published in from that period, that he was noticing that there was a withdrawal from the organizations that had been built by the working class. Communist Party was not what it was before. Labor unions were also bureaucratic organizations uh, pretty much uh, uh, integrated into the system. Right. And because of that, uh, people were withdrawing from those organizations and we were having, uh, we were creating a situation where uh, uh, people were looking to their private life uh, um, a more individualistic so, way. Uh, so would you to- agree
2: with me that, that the difference between uh, working class culture and middle class co- culture is exactly that? Which means if you're a worker, you look for your advancement uh, collectively because you can't do it on your own? And once you start believing that, you know, you can use your own merit and work to, to advance, then you, that's when you're middle class, because you can project yourself and your individual career, uh, and you believe you can do this, you know, without needing mm-hmm. other people. I, I doesn't that, would, would that, would you agree with that? Or um, the danger would
0: be thinking of it in terms of mindsets, simply. Uh, the reality is that anyone that is working in a bureaucratically organized organization is subject to this directors and executants, uh, order takers, order givers uh, division. Also, as he said later, it becomes more complicated because most people are playing some role that's a little bit of both or at different times, one or, or the other. But that is a a social experience. It's not just a a mindset that people once were collective and now have become individualistic. There is the bureaucratization of uh, basically all of uh, social life that starts out in the workplace and then expands to uh, a bureaucratization of leisure activities, bureaucratization of uh, of, uh, most institutions, and people are turned off by that. Uh, but they're also still facing every day in work that they've got a boss. They've got uh, irrational, act, uh, uh, irrational um, orders that they're expected to carry out. If you've got a managerial class, you've got people that are planning. They're planning on the basis of what they put down on paper to tell you what you should be doing with your life. And so uh, people are then faced with the fact that they're not going to get paid, especially if it's piecework, for doing the work, if they don't actually fill in all of the holes in the plan, and that and there's informal organization, informal organization within the workplace that is a counter-organization to the uh, the bureaucratic uh, planning that is supposed to foresee everything. And these these bureaucrats and managers wouldn't have a raison d'être if they weren't telling other people what to do. But at the same time, there's and here we get to autonomy. People are uh, uh, forming informal organizations to fill in all of the uh, uh, all of the um, uh, holes in the plan, to speak uh, uh, right. very very generally. And so, a counter organization is created. Now can that informal counter organization be, uh, be brought to the level of changing the way society overall is? That's always been and always will be, I think, the, right. the question. Uh, Present-day society is continuing to create the, um, the desire and the practices of autonomy. But at the same time, the system that we have always has to uh, discourage the participation that it also schizophrenically is soliciting.
2: Right, right. So, that, would, yeah. So would, would you agree also that you know, he, <laughs> I don't know, like time-wise, what we're we talking about? But I mean, you know, there's like post-Fordism and you know societies of control. So all these kind of cognitive capitalism. At least for people I think like me and Rock, we are um, in a bit of a different situation because we're you know, even when we work for uh, companies and, and and consultants, we like we have we have to internalize a lot more than, than workers 30 years ago. Like the there are limits and there are directions, but there's a lot less direct ordering than there used to be, at least for mm-hmm. you know this particular segment. And then mm-hmm. the other change I see is that, you know, from mass media and everybody watching TV to, you know, this kind of fragmentation on the internet and everybody has his own little tribe and we're not talking to each other anymore. So w- what part of the, did you see? Because I I would think this kind of starts maybe in 68, you know, this, these types of changes start, you know, the, the premises of it would, would be around that period so did he he have time to to write about these changes and and um or not well um and and please you know feel free to give your own thoughts on this because i'm sure yeah um how to how
0: to uh The, for him, the important overall um, uh, thing that was going on was that there was uh, there is if you can understand capitalism as not just accumulation of capital, but as a uh, unlimited expansion of rational mastery, which is how he characterizes capitalism with these new views that I've been talking about and an autonomy project that is running counter to that. The unlimited expansion of uh, rational mastery is a pseudo uh, uh, mastery and a pseudo rationalization, he argues. He uh, did not accept uh, a Baybarian conception of of rationality. He says that um, this distinction between the planners and those who are uh, uh, supposed to carry out the plans are, um, uh, uh, there's this attempt to have unlimited control, but at the same time, you're trying to solicit participation of people. Now there has been some flattening of uh, the bureaucracy. There has been even more of this uh, uh, trying to bring out people's Uh, uh, own self-organizational tendencies uh, to make a system that is still a a bureaucratic capitalist system run. But you have the basic contrast between the uh, unlimited expansion and on the other hand, autonomy, which is self-limitation. It's giving yourself your own laws. It's running your own life. And that's individually And collectively. So there's the uh, unlimited uh, and there's the self limited as this basic contrast. Um, Now, uh, how much things have changed? There's obviously been a lot of uh, attempts to uh, control things in this unlimited expansion of rational mastery you find today, for example, in the control of information. Information is now the important thing. And we are all basically the products with Facebook and uh, uh, other uh, uh, sorts of social media where capitalism is still effective and still there as this trying to control and and to basically data mine our lives, our minds, our uh, our, our existence. so it is a lot more complicated, that's true. What I've been trying to do is to bring back these, uh, these terms of uh, analysis or elucidation in such a way that people can think about their lives today, not to have a final um, uh, word that, oh, this is how it all works or something like that, because that is not useful uh, beyond what people are actually living and what they're actually struggling about.
2: Uh, so maybe you can say something about uh, this imaginary institution of society you know what what mm-hmm. is meant by that is is um you know what because what marxism did was give us like a collective dream you know and and, and gave us an idea of where we we're going um and that's kind of disappeared uh, you know there's a lot of fragmentation now in narratives and and so so how does it work now i mean how do you see anything you know evolving for the better Mm -hmm. uh you know with better i mean not destroying the planet and you know not having people on the streets all the time because they don't have enough food or or work or what what how would you define hope in the kind of current moment if there is any
0: (laughs) well it, it first of all it's interesting that uh you're talking about historical materialism as a, as a collective dream, uh, because that already is uh, the greatest condemnation right. of a
2: Marxist point of view, right? Of course, I've been there, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
0: so right. th- there's something that's being revealed uh, beneath that. Um, one one of the interesting, many interesting things that uh, reading and engaging with Castoriadis' work and finding that the things that you believed before were not necessarily so, uh, is uh, that Castoriadis' argument is that Marxism was fully integrated into the capitalist imaginary. That the economism, the productivism, uh, uh, leaving questions of uh, uh, appropriate technologies. uh, uh, There was a, a... In the mainstream of Marxism, there was a a pretty clear way in which uh, we were going to get to the promised land. Uh, And that is something that, uh, to the extent that one has an ecological sensibility or just a human sensibility, is now totally frightening to think that we were, uh, to the extent that any of us were Marxist, that that was, uh, was what we were thinking. Uh, and yes, there was this collective dream, it wasn't an imaginary. And for Castoranis, it was the capitalist imaginary, that there's a, there's a reason that, the, that Russia was a totalitarian uh, bureaucratic capitalist uh, country. So, so that, that's a, that's a first, uh, f- first aspect of this. Um, now, uh, say a little bit more what you were thinking comes after that
2: uh well you know what i'm trying to tease out of you is like you know what what how can we imagine change today like you know where mm-hmm. what is, where is the basis for any collective or individual change and mm-hmm. you know, uh, so what we do uh, me and rock and, and you know we're the p2p foundation is this idea of the commons you know mm-hmm. as a human as a human institution that we can create and so this is my idea. I don't know if Rock agrees with this, but you know, the idea as long as you're between capital and labor, you're you're fighting within the system. So, but once you say, you know, I'm I'm a commoner and we're we're co-creating something new, mm-hmm. then you then you're already kind of half out of the system. Because then you have an imaginary of where where you want to go and you you know you try to instantiate it mm-hmm. you know, alone or with a group of people. And and so the kind of on uh, an energetic basis, the idea is that you know as long as you you fight something, you will give it energy, right? And and at some mm-hmm. point you just say, no, that's not where I'm at. I'm 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 divorcing you know the that part that I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm really you know going mm-hmm. another direction. But you know well, that's um... just what we try to do. But I, I'm interested. Well, to... let, let me connect that yeah. to the imaginary
0: uh, first of all. For Eyes, the imaginary is not just the individual imagination of what he calls the singular psyche. There's also a social imaginary. Now, um, can one just disconnect from that? Uh, or And there's the phone, which I hope my uh, uh, spouse will... Uh, there we go. Uh, so uh, the social imaginary is not something that can just uh, be disconnected just like that because these are not just our ideas but these are our practices, these are our social relations that have been instituted. Now castorius uh, is talking about instituted society but also instituting society that as opposed to Marxism with a, and Hegelianism with a determinism at its basis, there is creativity and there is uh, change. That doesn't mean that there's good change and the rising tide of insignificancy as a theme is to talk about all the ways in which uh, there, there is being created through the continued bureaucratization of society and the destruction of meaning which begins in work where the, uh, where the rationalization of the labor process turns into uh, something that people don't have any view of, don't have any control over uh, and that bureaucratization as a destruction of meaning and work extends with the bureaucratization of all of society to all aspects of society. Now, can you just disconnect that by saying that we're going to have something different? Well, you have to have practices. You have to have social practices to make that happen. And that's, I think, uh, what what you were talking about. But uh, is there an idea of creation of new organizations for Castorius, for that's really the key—that at moments of revolution, at moments of uh, contestation of established society, new institutions, new significations are created. Now, uh, uh, in uh, our um, uh, in our tradition, which tradition shouldn't be taken just as a conservative sort of thing, but in what he calls the Greco-Western historical uh, tradition. Uh, at various points in history, there are are the, the creation of new forms of organization, new significations for what is meaningful for people in society. And those have a strong democratic components, whether you're talking about ancient Greece, even with all of the problems about uh, women and slaves being excluded or <clears throat> the early uh, medieval cities that were trying to define themselves uh, uh, at a distance from both the prince and the church uh, and becoming self-organizing uh, 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 and self-ruling on at least a, a local uh, municipal level. To what extent is just an idea of the commons a creation of new form of organization that has a strong democratic component? Right. That's, that would be for me, my question for you because i am not familiar with
2: well i i I do think that's the case so what we see is that um there is something new which is digital self-organization and um so the people are using this to organize things that they couldn't easily organize before and so you have Mm -hmm. on the one hand the open source communities that have sprung up in the last 20 years Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which decide to make different infrastructures and that they're shared and they have their own autonomous practices and and particular set of way of organizing themselves. Mm -hmm. Then you have the whole field of urban commoning where, you know, people who want healthy food or renewable energy or shared housing and shared mobility, you know, are no longer waiting for the market or the state to do this, but saying, okay, how can we do this? And so mm-hmm. there, there's a whole explosion there. It's about tenfold growth in 10 years in, in that particular field. Mm-hmm. And then what I'm looking at now, which is a bit more troubling or complicated to, to analyze from a you know progressive point of view, is this whole thing about uh, the blockchain communities and, and they're creating their own cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And but they don't believe in democracy as we used to understand, which is about people talking to each other. So they're trying to find these automated uh incentive systems Mm -hmm. and and they're capitalists in one hand because they all see themselves as engaging in markets but they also don't want big companies they don't want banks they uh so it's a particular Mm -hmm. kind of puzzling uh way but it's very strong because it's it's a very strong ideology in the you know in technology classes Mm-hmm. which are very important for the reproduction of the system today. You know, the, the coders, the developers, um, you know, all the people kind of a labor aristocracy today because they, you know, earn pretty good salaries and they're really, in, you know, there's no company that can do without them. Mm-hmm. Right? And that gives them a lot of power. And so that's very interesting to observe, right? but it's outside of the categories that, you know, as a progressive person, usually thinking, uh, you know, they are seeking their liberation in a kind of different, you know, tension than than mm-hmm. than we're mm-hmm. used to. Um, well, th-
0: there is th- this yeah. key issue of the creation of new organizational forms that are.
2: But that's that certainly the case. No, that what, is what, certainly what, the case. What,
0: what I th- what, what's interesting is that if we can take a, a, a broader view, uh, uh, we are definitely living in a technological world that didn't exist at the time that Castoriadis was writing. He died in 97, uh,
2: just as right. uh, it was a
0: dial-up uh, 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 internet yeah. account. Uh, he lived long enough that uh, I yeah. worked with him to set up the Agra International right. website.
2: So 93 is the, uh, the, the beginning of the browser and the web.
0: Yeah, I got uh, on you, in 90, yeah. 96. And then worked with Castoriadis, <clears throat> and uh, right. I just I wanted a page, a web page for Agra International for a bibliography, and we went to the established institutions in France, and they said, well, if we give you a web page for Castoriadis, and sort of understood under this this crazy radical who happens to teach at the Ecole des Hautes Etudes Sciences Sociales, we'd have to give a web page to everyone. So that, that was the head that, right. uh, that the established bureaucratic institutions were at uh, at, at the at time. The time. Right. Uh, uh, but what, what I'm saying about taking a step back, I, we have, and you're talking about fragmentation, we have um, what we saw with January 6 in the United States and all the conspiracy theories and Q and, Facebook, right, right. and all of that happening. And then we have basically these techno bros um, right. Which uh, have, as far as I can see, mostly a, a libertarian in the yeah. But that's what I
2: was talking about in these blockchain communities, uh, uh,
0: right? Un- understanding. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan said uh, in his neoliberal point of view, uh, uh, the, the problem with government is that you. Uh, excuse me. The problem problem with socialism is you always you eventually run out of other people's money. Um, the answer for libertarianism. Right. Uh, in its American view, because there's also uh, London Solidarity, the sister organizi- organization, organization, right. called itself libertarian socialist, and I try to explain that right. to Americans, and their like head explodes. But, uh, <laughs> but the problem with libertarianism in its American incarnation is that yeah. eventually you run out of other people's lives. Right right yeah uh, I read that online somewhere online so we're all in this bathed in this uh, this world right. now casstroatus was actually very interested in the possibilities of what became the internet already in 1957 he he was working his day job as at, at the organization of economic Cooperation and Development and eventually had a very high uh, role there uh, with growth studies on uh, national statistics and uh, and so on, and so he was aware of the possibilities of computer uh, technologies, right. and built into his 1957 on the contents of socialism text was an idea of using computers to uh, to, uh, uh, to to uh, turn into uh, information that could be handled a self-managed society. So right. he was well, that's
2: already what we are doing actually, you know, we, we look at this, at uh, Mm -hmm. the potential for free mutual coordination. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, not, not central planning, but uh, open systems where everybody can see what all the others are doing and so can adapt their behavior, but also with kind of inbuilt boundaries that protect Mm -hmm. the planet, right? So that you can, you can take productive decisions Within you know objective limits mm-hmm. of nature, and 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 there you have to have some you know coercive mechanism or voluntary maybe, but you know so you're free but within the frame that you can't destroy the planet basically, right? Mm-hmm. And but so we look at the, qu- the, the question is at,
0: where is the yeah. where is the political moment in that?
2: Where is the, what, the political?
0: Where is the political moment in that? Right. That, that would be so, the question that, that I would raise. And um, ever since, uh, really, 56 in the Hungar- Hungarian Revolution exposing what Russia really was as this bureaucratic uh, totalitarian organization, right. people have come up with ideas of, oh, well, we can't be centralized. That's what uh, was the problem right. with uh, Russia and communism. And so we have to have something that's decentralized. And, uh, you know, there's this quite respectable, ecological uh, uh, socialist thinkers like Murray Bookchin, who have uh, tried to develop that with municipal libertarianism or, you know, he's had various names for it. But uh, uh, Castoriadis challenged him on this in, in some articles in the 1970s. Uh, and he raised the question of uh, what sort of technology world do we live in? Is it really possible to have just these local communities that are somehow also going to confederate um, without a political moment that is going to be uh, central? Uh, he believes right. that-
2: So are you, talking then, are you talking about revolution and about actually challenging power directly in a particular moment? Is that what you're saying?
0: Uh, I'm talking about- uh, uh, Within the context that the social imaginary is not just ideas in the head, right. and it's not just feelings of individual people, but it is a whole set of institutions and values uh, and practices. Okay, so we are in a world where the technology has a heavy influence. On, and even yeah. influence isn't the right word. We're living in a technological society that has many alienating and uh, destructive aspects, and also ecologically. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, if we're putting all, all of our lives up into this cloud that isn't a cloud, but is in fact, to talk like a uh, a material.
2: It's a private. It's a private cloud.
0: It, it, well, it's it, no. It's not only it's not only a private cloud. It's also uh, a world where uh, uh, there's a lot of worrying machines in large buildings that are eating yeah. up a lot of energy.
1: A lot this of energy. Like yeah, yeah.
0: All yeah. of that. Um, so, uh, is that what's real, or is it uh, that we're creating something decentralized using existing technologies and thinking that we're going to come with come out with a different outcome? Right that would be the question
1: yeah
2: Um, Uh, we we won't have time to discuss this in details but that's the kind of thing we we try to find answers to. right this is the kind of work that we do and 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 what i'm trying to do is
0: help out people to benefit from uh someone who remained a revolutionary his entire life uh that did not go in for the neoliberal Uh, ideology, which uh, as I I try, one of the key things I try to show in my paper is that this is an ideology that both Marxism and liberalism are 19th century ideologies that have had an afterlife all the way into the 20th century. And neither of them is capable of understanding what a social imaginary is. That's Castoradis's main point. And so we are on a, ideological level, on a level of, uh, of, uh, uh, of social imaginaries, in the middle of a struggle. Whether we right. want to say that we're going to opt out of it or not, it's the struggle within a technological society that the question is, is there still room? Is there still possibility for the creation of new forms of organization that would be democratic? And if they're democratic, uh, and can you have... Uh, Socialism in one country—we saw that that didn't work. Can we have socialism? Right. In a series of municipal, uh, or uh, you know, whatever word you would substitute for socialism, uh, uh, right. cooperative, communal, uh, 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 local organizations that somehow are going to. Well, I'm not sure what they're going to do because there's still the state. There's still uh, there, There's still uh, the bureaucratic way in which uh, most things are produced uh, even if you've got a different way of uh, putting people together in relation to that uh, there, there are still a lot of uh, uh, right. but you know the, the,
2: the question yeah. is what's what's going to happen when uh, a lot of scarcities are going to re-emerge you know water food, uh, rare rare metals and so that's kind of where we're going. We're going to a situation where, All the things that we take for granted you know it's kind of provided easily and automatically are going to become problematic in a number of years Mm -hmm. and so one i think one of the big drives is relocalization so you can see there's an enormous drive of people wanting things locally Mm -hmm. Um, but the other thing that's happening at the same time is digital self-organization on translocal basis and, and then what we're interested in is how these te- these two things come together. And that's what we call cosmolocal. So you do permaculture, you try to change, you know, food provisioning, you mm-hmm. have your feet in the mat, but all the way they are learning is actually not from the people next door, but that's through the networks. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of the model that we're looking at. And, you know, that could be another conversation. But, um, mm-hmm. like, I, I I believe that something new is being born in that kind of Cauldron, and, and that there are new institutions being uh, created, um, but you know where exactly this is going to, to go to—that's still kind of, of course, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, an, an open question. But there, there is certainly an energy there and an imaginary that is not no longer the classic consumerist, you know, capital-labor uh, imaginary. It's different. It's a, it's a network imaginary, and then it fuses with. You know, localism and ecological values. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a rich a richness to it that is interesting. That you know. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, yeah. Something
0: I'm I'm not too familiar with. So uh, uh, the last thing I want to do is trample upon your dreams. Sure. <laughs> uh, 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 the the questions that I would ask are, to to what extent. Uh, is one relying on some sort of thing coming out of this that is not involving directly uh, the creation of new values and new forms of social organization that have a democratic component? I think it's an illusion uh, to uh, believe that we can uh, just create a lot of local things and that somehow they're going to be acceptable right. and and that uh,
2: sure, I, but I completely agree
0: with that. Lead yes, lead and something. That we have the same technology, but uh, we're going to somehow get beyond all those bad libertarian, uh, in the American sense, uh, and, right. and, and come up with something. Uh, what, what seems to be lacking in what you are describing is a political moment in all of this. Yeah. Not as something that is supposed to stand over
2: everything. No, no, uh, but the, the but, problem is today that there is a lot of anti-political feeling. Yes, and that's, that's a real um, a real problem these communities. And there's- and, a, and, yeah. and let me
0: just relate this uh, to uh, what I was talking about before, the two ideologies of the 19th century, which are, uh, if you look at Louis Dumont, you can say this of, uh, yeah. of Marxism as well as liberalism are individualistic, ultimately. In, uh in, in how they were viewing things and they are continuing today. So we have uh, uh, we have uh, still not what we have uh, with, uh, with with still looking in liberal sort of terms, we still have an idea of individuality th- that doesn't connect to the social imaginary. and and with that there is a hatred of politics and you've just yeah, described exactly. that, you've just uh, granted that. There is the question of what kind of society do we want? Not we're going to have some sort of blockchain uh, guarantee that everyone's gonna behave the way that they should and there's no place. And in a way that is that is li- the continuation of liberalism in right. its classical uh, designation that we, we can't get of this political stuff uh, ruining how we're going to save the
2: planet exactly and and there's a strong technocratic um philosophy in it because they that actually is a political philosophy from 1930s and so you have these people who believe that they can evacuate you know human complexity by automating you know smart Mm -hmm. contracts and and so that's all in there as well yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So I think we already over one hour, and so maybe Rock, you want to ask some concluding questions uh, before we kind of finalize the conversation.
1: Uh, sure, thank you. Uh, just a moment. Um, yeah, uh, well, the question of, of the political moment and and yeah, the the social imaginary kind of got me thinking. Um, also through some some you know movements concepts uh, practices that i've been engaging with and one that also um arose from from france but more recently in like decorsance uh, degrowth um is you know just one of uh, a few kind of or salient narratives um or kind of meta narratives in in their practice that they try to kind of uh, create uh, or or kind of combine or juxtapose different uh, uh, different other previous uh, concepts and, and um, uh, like relations to to any kind of notion of a revolutionary project um, and well one of one of the mantras in that movement is kind of you know, decolonizing the imaginary. Um, in terms of specifically imaginary of, of continuous growth, um, economic growth and econ- economism, um, but at the same time with this, you know, looking towards seeds of change, looking towards uh, all these various practices, which are also sometimes, you know, in different places around the world and very contextual and situated, uh, such as uh, Buen Vivir and, and such um like uh, and we've talked to you know a couple of guests during this series on uh you know kind of uh, prefigurations or or hints or or things that people should struggle for as maybe transitional mechanisms uh, or or you know uh, things that can develop into into like political moment proper like basic income plus basic services um, with with some ways to to go towards a cooperative economy. Uh, we've talked about alternative currencies, and guaranteed job complex. Um, I know in the work of of Michel, like he's been leaning a lot on, uh, well, you know, commonification as a kind of retaking of, of uh, you know, urban public services uh, from uh, food uh, to yeah, um, internet access. Let's say. Or, or you know, the, the knowledge commons and open access, uh, open source movements and such. Um, and for example, community wealth building is, is a kind of upcoming concept uh, that uh, I suppose takes on its own particular look uh, in terms of uh, the potentialities of, of transforming a political economy, uh, also in relation to state, uh, also in relation to new finance institutions um, but at the same time you know looking closely at at the potentials and, and pitfalls of such strategies um, so and, and uh, yeah it's I wouldn't say that any like kind of it's, it's a lot of implicit notions about change that there's no kind of uh, a synthesis to be had but still uh, these you know Decolonizing imaginaries, developing alternative imaginaries through these uh, movements, um, has seemed to be a kind of conscious projects, uh, and not just in in sciences and activism, but also in, in the arts, of course, uh, as a kind of way to to opening up. Uh, and yeah, I haven't seen, for example, you know, and there are probably um, particular re- reasons why this is so, but. Uh, we can't say of, of any very salient, you know, utopian, imaginary, inspiring uh, film project or or you know art uh, movement that uh, kind of creates, uh, you could say, pre-experiences of alternatives as a way of of fabricating uh, political moments or or inertia or things of that nature. So, um, Maybe you know if you have some reflections on that, and maybe also um, the power of art in, in this kind of political moment context.
0: Okay, that's a lot. Um, so uh, I wanted to first say one last thing for Michelle, uh, which is when I'm talking about a political moment, um, I don't want to uh Sounds like Hannah Arendt that thinks that, that who says that there needs to be some separate sphere of political activity. I'm talking about uh, putting politics and democracy into the sort of uh, 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 efforts that both of you are talking about. So I don't want to make it sound like because uh, you end up. Uh, not this was Hannah Rent's view. You end up with some idea of some separate state or or uh, special specialized uh, apparatus or uh, moments uh, that would be separate from all of, uh, from all of the practices uh, that people have in their everyday lives. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Uh, 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 Questioning you guys about this idea that we can't have something central, or that there can't be a uh, a democracy that works as an articulation of all social institutions uh, that that include that could include a direct democratic component, uh, as opposed to the libertarian idea that uh, it's just uh, you're going to find the technical means by which. This, you're going to avoid all human messy problems. Um, so we're on uh, your side.
2: We. I just want to say that we're on your side in this debate. You know, <laughs> okay.
0: So if I'm if I'm helpful, that that that's that's great. Um, on on uh, degrowth uh, first. Um, uh, it's interesting. Castoriadis, as I mentioned, was um, uh, the uh, director of uh, national accounts and growth studies, so he was very aware of. Uh, growth as an ideology and he has a wonderful paper on uh, reflections on rationality and development rationality is in quotation marks because he saw uh, this destruction of meaning through rationalization but also development the idea that one had uh, uh, that we could export growth to other areas of the world there was Walt Rostow's idea that something that it was like an airplane that was going to take off, and the African countries, too, would be able to, I, I guess, no longer be connected to their land <laughs> through growth, that somehow was going to get up there, and then that was a good thing, and so on. Uh, but degrowth, um, uh, which Serge Latouche and others who are very familiar with uh work, uh, I, I, I'm not really convinced that that is a uh, coherent uh, uh, starting point, because what, I, I, what is growth? I, I can't go into all of that here, but Castoraz has a, a, a critique of the idea that all of these heterogeneous things that are products and practices and so on and so forth could ever be put together in growth that then one would just simply degrow. Uh, Now, obviously, there's more to it, but as a concept degrowth I've never been convinced by. Um, You have mentioned in uh, your um, uh, writing to me in advance and then here, the idea of narratives and the end of grand narratives and so on. Um, Not everything is a narrative. Everything today is being portrayed as a narrative, but that's just not the case. I, I think it's much more important to be talking in terms of s- social imaginary institutions uh, and uh, and uh, social imaginary significations. And that is directly related to values that would um, animate organizations. And uh, I'm not convinced that just doing it on the local level or having connections using existing technologies uh, actually um, creates new significations, new forms of uh, organization that would be democratic would have this political momentum in, in the way that I'm talking about. Um, I don't know what decolonizing the imaginary is. Um, uh, you you follow that up by saying and creating other imaginaries, and so I'd say yes. Um, uh, so I'm not sure what I can say, but more specifically about basic income and guaranteed jobs. That's all within the existing system at a point where you are where society is starting to realize that it's not going to have a job for everyone, that we actually do have a lot of productivity and growth and all of these other sorts of previously wonderful things. Um, and uh, just having a guaranteed job doesn't guarantee that you have a say about your job. Having a basic income doesn't mean that you have a say about the distribution of the social product. This is what Castroison's ideas uh, in on the content of socialism 1957 bringing in a technical computer aspect to it were all about that uh, it's still a sort of uh, consumer idea well everyone will have an income. Well who determines what incomes? Are. Well, we will have the state come in, perhaps, and and, uh, and 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 mandate this, and perhaps that's even going to be necessary. That capitalism will will, will 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 capitalism will decide that this is necessary because they can't employ all people, and they can't afford to just leave people out in the cold. Um, and we're seeing with the pandemic ways in which. Uh, That is starting to change a little bit, but it doesn't have a democratic idea that there are people that work or that do other things for society that are collectively working together and making determinations about how the product is divided. Uh, So I've never been very convinced by basic income or guaranteed uh, jobs. Um, but at the same time, you mentioned the word utopia, and this is something that, uh, that Castoriadis was very adamant about, was that his ideas are not utopian. He's trying to elucidate people's actual responses and reactions within the world that we have today with all of the technological marvels and uh, disasters that we have uh, That to try to figure out what are we creating today that can help to foster new forms of social organization and new significations, meaning basically values at a time where the rationalization of everything is leading to the destruction of all values, destruction of initiative, destruction of responsibility. Um, and in some of the people that you are dealing with or debating with, there is the uh, from what I'm hearing uh, almost the, uh, the uh, infinite degree of that hatred of politics, that hatred of uh, of uh, uh, having uh, human values uh, and significations put at the center of things and to somehow uh, create the, um, uh, the, the technical conditions whereby those things are because they're messy and uh, and, and uh, can't uh, uh, have automatic solutions or even, as, you, as Michelle was saying, models. Uh, we don't need economic more economic models, either the communist, socialist, uh, classical one, or the uh, or the capitalist model. That's how economists always talk. We need to destroy e- the economic. As a separate area of social life, and have uh, n- not just in a conservative idea, oh, we have to have values back, or something like that. But what values do we want as a society, and is ca- society capable of wanting itself? This is something that he that just at the same time he was writing about uh, privatization. Uh, uh, depoliticization, he was also questioning Does society want itself, and what does society want itself as? Those are the big questions. How do we put that into practices where people are themselves the agents of uh, asking those questions and providing responses, not final solutions to it? Not models that we are then all going to follow, uh, but having that sort of those sort of values with the value of autonomy as a project being uh, 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 at at the center. Uh,
1: thanks for that. Uh, yeah, uh, just I a bit of good core... moment
2: to conclude, actually, mm-hmm. because yeah. we've been um, talking quite some time already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was actually a very good conclusion. <laughs>
0: Didn't say anything about the power of art, which is probably more important than all of the other things. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really glad that uh, Rock uh, uh, brought that up. My other, uh, uh, another hat that I wear besides uh, Agra International and as a translator and hopefully seeing this uh, uh, this exchange, which is much better than me playing some sort of role of expert or something uh, like that. I, I hope this will give people a desire to take a look at the paper uh, that I've written because I can't summarize everything uh, uh, in, in just a, f- a few words here. But the power of art, my other hat is um, I, I work as administrator with uh, my spouse uh, who's a dancer choreographer, Claire Gibson Maxwell. And so we've been trying to uh, 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 explore some of Castoriadis' ideas and do that through uh, multi-arts site-responsive performances that involve the uh, sometimes ambulatory that involve the public to uh, experience uh, what the explorations are in the performance and the themes of the performance in such a way that there'll then be a dialogue afterwards between artists uh, and, and the public and so we try to exemplify there uh through art uh, some of these uh, issues that we've been uh talking about here so i think the power of art is a wonderful uh, uh, uh aspect of this because that is deeper than philosophy deeper than politics this is uh, as Castroata says uh, a uh, window on the chaos of
2: the world
1: thank you Thank you so much. Um, yeah, just just a bit of a clarification. I think, uh, sure. Like w- when when we uh, discussed with our guest, you know, notions of basic income uh, and such, we we've uh, pretty much always been quite critical, more or less, for for the same reasons that that, that you've outlined. Uh, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I think one of the ideas of the spiders platform has been to kind of offer or juxtapose these uh, different proposals at different layers uh, self-reflexive and critical to to different degrees or seeing themselves kind of fit within this kind of a project of transformation and also at different scales and in different contexts and such um and i think yeah your contribution specifically has been in in, in a in quite a specific arena in in this kind of constellation and i've uh, personally taken it, yeah, right, as a, as a kind of step step back and, and rethink um, some very basic premises about, yeah, society, the imaginaries, uh, change itself and, and such. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: for me, the question is, um, you know, in an earlier, just to put it in historical perspective, uh, in an earlier period, there was, uh, there were various uh, the utopian socialists, that had a sort of technocratic uh, or uh, affinity-based view, depending upon who you're, who which uh, utopian socialist there was. Um, uh, but also um, uh, guild socialism was another uh, historic mm-hmm. uh, attempt to do an end run around uh, the uh, growing industrial capitalism. Uh, but can you can you create something? That is separate from the system while you're still in the system. And how much, and this is this is a question of reflection rather than I've got the answers. How much are we still reproducing the existing system when we think we are against it? Marx thought that he had come up with the way to get beyond it. And in fact, at least if you accept Castoriadis's point of view, he had fully adopted the capitalist imaginary and was the means by which it was introduced into the working class so uh, we, we you know we 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 want change we'd like to see change and uh, to what extent are we through our social imaginary of the existing society reproducing that even when we are opposing it and that, that's why getting back to the very beginning uh, uh, with talking about where castoriadis came from, he was uh, 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 already in Greece, asking those uh, those sorts of questions.
2: Okay, thank you. What do you want? It was a great
0: Clube. pleasure to talk yeah. to you guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I think it was a very lively and and warm conversation. And uh, you know, I think uh, one of the better ones uh, in terms of this kind of energy. So I think people would like it uh well i hope i have the right judgment on this we'll see but uh yeah it was, was really pleasant yeah
0: and i i i don't want to ever seem like i'm just um raining on anyone's parade or um uh uh just uh you know engaged in fault finding or nitpicking or anything like that but uh to the extent that i have had an experience that i can share with others that leads to uh, some further reflections uh, for you guys to take, to go the way that you think that this needs to go. If I've been helpful, I, 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 I feel glad about that. Thank you. Thank you.